Good morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about intercessory prayer. I originally um, planned this as one sermon for last week. Um, and I was going to do this as the application part. So I was going to do the stuff on the body and then and then do this as as a main application point <clears throat> afterwards. But I'm I'm glad in God's providence that he's let me separate these two and I get to spend more time on this. Uh, I'm excited about it because it's, I think, needed because <clears throat> I'll start with this. Brethren, I, I have to exhort you to pray for others. Before I do it, I will ask you a personal question. Do you always pray for others? Are you guilty or not guilty here? Do you think you have taken the case of your children, your church, your neighborhood, and the ungodly world before God as you ought to have done? If you have, I have not. For I stand here a chief culprit before the Master to make confession of the sin. And while I shall exhort you to practice what is undoubtedly a noble privilege, I shall be, most of all, exhorting myself. It's Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 1861. When I read this, I thought there would be no better way to begin this message except maybe to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as beggars, empty, with nothing to bring, Lord. And we are uh, here to praise you for your gracious love for us and changing us, making us your children, adopting us into your family. And Lord, giving us this means of grace, of prayer, where we can come before you as your children. And we ask that you would bless our time in the word this morning. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to James chapter 5? And I'll have you stand for the reading of the word this morning. James chapter 5. We're going to be focusing on verse 16, but I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the skies poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You may be seated. God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> Intercessory prayer. What is it? Intercessory prayer is prayer for others. 
An intercessor is one who takes the place of another or pleads another's case. One Bible, uh, one study Bible defines intercession as holy, believing, persevering prayer whereby someone pleads with God on behalf of another or others who desperately need God's intervention. Anyone here need God's intervention this morning? Do you know of anyone who needs God to intervene in their lives this morning? This morning, we're going to look at intercessory prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament and then how it applies to us. And this is our simple outline up here. We're going to look at the Old Testament and some intercessors there. The New Testament, Christ, our high priest and the priesthood of all believers. And then we'll conclude with an application. So let's begin with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word, the Hebrew word to pray is palal. And it means to intervene, to interpose, to intercede. And it's translated as to pray. But it's also translated a few times, it's actually translated as to intercede. And another word that's used, that's translated into English as prayer is the word na. And that actually means to beg or to entreat or to implore. It's used 181 times as the word please. In fact, it's most often translated as the word please, like to beg, please. We're going to look at one example of it. But it's also obviously translated as to pray. But that idea of begging and interceding for people. Don't panic. We're not going to look all these up, right? Like last week. (laughs) We had fun last week going to a lot of different passages. But I wanted to put these up there so that you can look at them later. And uh, just like last week, though, we're going to start in the beginning. See what God did from the very beginning. Let's look at Genesis chapter 18. This is an amazing example of prayer. I won't read the whole passage. It's um, when the three angels came to Abraham and Sarah, actually, and they told Abraham that he was going to have children with Sarah. And Sarah laughed and uh, got caught, lied about it. And then Abraham, uh, they told Abraham that they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And Abraham, starting in verse 22, when they're walking away, Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous men or 50 righteous within the city. So he goes through this. You guys are familiar with the story. He goes through this process of saying, and the Lord says, okay, if there's 50, I won't, I won't destroy it. And then he says, well, what if there's 45? He says, oh, okay, I'll do it if they can find 45. And he says, suppose there's 40. And he says, okay, and then what if 30? And then 20? And then 10? But you can read in, his lang- in the language here, he's begging the Lord, please, please. But we know what happens. We end up, there's less than 10. <laughs> And uh, the Lord ends up destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. But you can see here this example of begging on the part of other people. And that's actually that word na that's used in there. And then uh, chapter 20, just over a couple of pages here to chapter 20. 
is the story of Abimelech. Remember, Abraham is uh, traveling through Abimelech's kingdom and Abimelech kind of likes Sarah. So Abraham doesn't want him to kill Abraham and, and take Sarah. So he says, oh, she's my sister. So he lies, right? And uh, says, she's my sister. So Abimelech takes her. But then in verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream in the night. and He said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she's married. And Abimelech had not come near to her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself to me say she's my sister? And she herself said, He's my brother. And the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. The Lord said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you. The liar, right? (laughs) He's going to pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that that you shall surely die and all who are yours. And we know that Abraham, you know, Abimelech does what God tells him to do. And he's not guilty in the first place, but he does what God tells him to do. Restores it. He actually gives him more stuff, oxen and, and servants and sheep. And, and, uh, and then Abraham prayed to God. Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. So that's kind of interesting intercession there, right? Abimelech was talking with God, having a conversation with God in dreams, but he still needed God's chosen intercessor to intercede for him for things to be put back right. God only accepts prayer from his chosen instruments, from his mediators and his intercessors. Numbers 12, 8 He's talking about Moses here. The Lord says, my servant Moses, with him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And he's saying there, the Lord is talking about how the prophets and different ones, he does the dreams and reveals things to them, but he doesn't speak mouth to mouth. He doesn't uh, accept intercession except from those who he has a relationship with. His chosen intercessors. In Exodus 32, we see the example of the golden calf, right? When Moses came down from being with God on the top of the mountain and God was going to destroy the entire nation of Israel because of their worship of the calf. And Moses intercedes for them, begs God. And actually in the text, it says that God changed his mind and Moses changed God's mind by praying. We won't dive into all that and and how that works, but... That's what God is trying to show us there, that the intercessor was used and was powerful and effectual. In Deuteronomy uh, 9, chapter 19 to 20, I put up there, that's just Moses recalling that situation. So that's a little concise version of that if you want to look at that one. An exceptional example, though, is in Numbers. Let's look at Numbers 21. Go ahead and turn to that one. Numbers 21, 6 through 9. This is Moses' intercessor again. Verse 6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned 
because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard and it shall come about that everyone who's bitten when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and it came about that if the serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. <clears throat> they begged. The people had to go to Moses to beg for Moses to intercede for them. Okay? Again, the chosen intercessor. And we also know that's a beautiful passage because we know in the New Testament, in the book of John, that, that Christ says in the same way, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and intercede for us, right? God's other chosen intercessors in the Old Testament, uh, one of them was Job. Do you know when, when Job's fortunes were restored? Do you remember? At the end of the book, in 42.10, he prayed, and before that, in 9, 8 and 9, he, uh, he tells the Lord, I repent and dust and ashes and all those things. And then uh, God actually goes after Job's friends and makes them do sacrifices and things because they were uh, giving Job a bunch of bad advice. But in 42.10, it tells us the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prays and they're not they weren't great friends, right? <laughs> we know from the book they weren't awesome friends. They were giving him bad advice. But that's when God, not when he repented and did those things, it's when he prayed for his friends. That's interesting. Let's turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. First six Samuel, First six Kings. It's the sword drills again, right? First Samuel chapter 12, I'm going to read 19 to 23. All the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die. So again, the people are begging Samuel to intercede for them. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they're futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. That's amazing right there for Samuel. It's a sin for him to not intercede for the people of Israel. It's pretty amazing. And Jeremiah, what about Jeremiah? Spurgeon says it this way. Forget not Jeremiah, whose tears were prayers. Remember the weeping prophet? The whole, the whole book, basically, of Jeremiah and Lamentations is Jeremiah interceding for the, the Jews. Forget not Jeremiah, whose tears were prayers. Prayers coming too intensely from the heart to find expression in any utterance of the lip. He wept himself away. His life was one long shower, each drop of prayer, and the whole deluge a flood of intercession. Uh, 
And those are some individual examples of intercessors in the Old Testament. But there was one group of individuals that were set aside by God to be intercessors. Their entire profession was intercession. The Levitical priests. Their work of prayer and intercession. In Leviticus 1, it starts... And you can read through that. Some of you may be even getting through there right now. And you're, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, we're about at that point, right? Where we're slugging through Leviticus. But this idea of God, I mean, there's great detail in there. And God establishing a group of intercessors, right? If you look over and over again, there's this phrase, Aaron's sons, the priest. If you need this, Aaron's sons, the priest. This kind of sacrifice, Aaron's sons, the priest will do it for you, Right. In Leviticus 16, it talks about the once a year sacrifice of atonement, the day of atonement, right? Incredible time where they had to tie a rope around the priest's waist so that one time a year he could go in and intercede for the people. And if he did it wrong, they had to drag him out by the rope because he's dead. Okay? So this is a very special, very uh, important form of intercession where God's people can get to God and be in the presence of God through an intercessor. In Exodus uh, 28, um, it's talking about the priestly garments. And in verse 12, and it talks about carrying the names of the people. So when they go into the presence of God on their garments, there was symbolically, there was two stones on the priest soldier to carry the names. And that was to simplify the weight of carrying the people's sin before the Lord. And then on his breastplate, the priest's breastplate was the names of the people, too. So the idea of taking, that was their whole thing, was taking the people before God and interceding for God. Turn to, turn to Second Chronicles. It's a good verse right here. Second Chronicles chapter 30. <clears throat> Verse 27. <clears throat> this is, okay, when the, uh, the Passover is being reinstated in Jerusalem, right? And there's a big day of celebration. Massive amount of sacrifices happened. And they're, so they're reinstating the Passover for Israel. And the Levitical priest, in verse 27, arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. So this idea of the priest standing up, the entire congregation of Israel, their voice like a conduit going through the Levitical priests before the Lord through intercession. It's amazing and beautiful. Prophets could intercede and did. Kings could intercede and did. But it was the priest's full-time role to go before God for the people. And that's a good transition to our next point because Christ is our High priest and all of that Old Testament priest, all that fun stuff in Leviticus, all of that points to Christ. Right. We're just singing about our name on Christ's hands. Right. Same idea. Christ is our model intercessor and high priest. Jesus stands before God and between him and sinful man, just as the Old Testament priest did. For there is one God and one mediator, intercessor, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus is the reason you can pray. 
He's the reason you're saved. He's the reason you have a relationship with God. Jesus brings sinful man and a righteous God together at the place of blood sacrifice for sin. No longer is the blood of animals necessary as it was in the Old Testament. We can now approach God on the basis of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross of Calvary for the remission of sin. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can approach boldly without timidity. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's take a look at that. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. He is our ultimate intercessor and he left us an example. Jesus was an intercessor when he was here on earth. He prayed for those who were sick, possessed by demons. He prayed for his disciples. He even prayed for you and me. When he says, those who would believe on me because of their word in John, in the high priestly prayer, right? In John 17, he prays for us. Jesus continued his ministry of intercession after his death and resurrection when he returned to heaven. And he now serves as our intercessor in heaven. Therefore, he is always able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's Hebrews 7.25. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Romans 8.34. The incarnation, death and resurrection of Christ changed everything. And one of the most striking changes is prayer, our access to God. New Testament words for prayer can vary very different ideas than the Old Testament ones. The English word is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament, pray or to pray. But the Greek words are very different. It comes from a compound word, prosekumai which is from the word prose, which is to draw near. In Hebrews 10.22, we just read in Hebrews 14, but also in Hebrews 10.22, it says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full of assurance. And it also means to move forward. And one time in Luke chapter 12, it's actually translated as to whisper in the ear. That kind of close proximity. That's what the word prose is, to draw near, to be close to. And then from the word Ekumai, which means to wish or to voice your desires. The Greeks use that word without the without the prefix, right? Without prose, they just use the ekumai. Greeks use this as their word to pray or to wish, but there was no drawing near, right? The Greek gods were pretty scary characters, right? Zeus with his lightning bolt and Ares, the god of war, Poseidon, the god of the sea, and the primordial gods, the earth gods, one of my favorites, chaos, the god of nothingness, right? How do you get that job? How's it going? What's going on? Nothing, right? 
all the time. But that idea of nothingness is very scary too, right? <laughs> it can be very scary. So the Greeks didn't even think about drawing near to or being close to their gods. But the Jewish people would have had the exact same idea, right? We just read some of the things in the Old Testament. They would have the same idea about approaching God. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, that's the English, is called the ineffable tetragrammaton, right? Because they could not even say his name. And we already talked about the rope that they had to wrap around the priest's waist. In Leviticus 16, 1 and 2, Aaron's sons are killed just for doing slightly different things than what God told him to do. He killed them. And God told Aaron even, do not enter inside the veil or you will die. And these are the appointed priests, right? So proximity to God was to be feared. Praise God, the veil has been torn in two. We have access to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, to whisper in His ear. You are a priest. You can enter and do the intercessory work of a priest because Christ is your high priest, is our high priest. He's the high priest over a holy royal priesthood. That's you. <clears throat> the priesthood of all believers. Revelation 5.10 says, You have made them to be priests to our God. Peter explains in his first epistle that we are a royal priesthood who need none but Christ to stand between us and the Father. It's in 1 Peter 2.9 and 10. Luther, Martin Luther, pointed out in his Babylonian captivity of the church that all we who are Christians are priests. No believer has greater access to the Creator than any other. Pastors and elders are appointed to teach the church the will of God from His Word. And there are different gifts and different roles in the body we talked about last week. But we are all priests. The biblical basis for the New Testament believers' ministry of intercession or intercessory prayer is our calling as priests unto God. Let me read that again. The biblical basis for the New Testament believers' ministry of intercessory prayer is our calling as priests unto God. The Word of God declares that we are a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5, and a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, and a kingdom of priests, Revelation 1.6. Peter uses two words to describe this priestly ministry, holy and royal. Holiness is required to stand before the Lord. That standard has not changed and never will. Christ has changed us. We are able to stand before the Lord only on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. We have priestly garments, right? We've been clothed in Christ. Google was talking about that just a couple of weeks ago. Royalty is descriptive of the kingly authority that's delegated to us as members of the royal family. We have legitimate access to the throne room of God. We are princes and princesses of the King of Kings. His children. Hebrews 7 explains the difference 
in the establishment of the Old and New Testament priesthoods, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood was passed on from generation to generation through the descendants of the tribe of Levi. The Melchizedek priesthood spoken of is the new order. This is in Hebrews 7, explains the Melchizedek priesthood is a new order of spiritual priests of whom the Lord Jesus is high priest. And it is passed on to us through his blood, our spiritual rebirth as new creatures in Christ and adoption by the king. The purpose for this holy and royal calling to priestly intercession is shown to us in the Old Testament example of the Levitical priesthood. The priest's responsibility was to stand before and between. <clears throat> he stood before the priest. Yeah, he stood before God to minister to him. Right. The priest did with sacrifices and offerings. And the priest also stood between a righteous God and sinful man, bringing them together at the place of blood sacrifice. So the main reason you've been given this amazing access is for others. If you're a believer, you're a priest. The phrase, the priesthood of all believers, was a major part of the Reformation. For over a thousand years, the Roman church had supplied the priests. No one from king to peasant could do anything without the approval of pope and councils. Everyone feared excommunication. Martin Luther and the other reformers wanted to restore the believers direct access to God through Christ alone. But with privileged access comes responsibility. This is Martin Luther. The priest is not made. He must be born a priest, must inherit his office. I refer to the new birth, the birth of water in the spirit. Thus, all Christians must become priests children of God and co-heirs with Christ, the most high priest. Men universally consider the title of priest glorious and honorable. It's acceptable to everyone. But the duties and sacrifice of the office are rarely accepted. Men seem to be adverse to the latter. The Christian priesthood costs life, property, honor, friends, and all worldly things. It costs Christ the same on the Holy Cross. No man readily chooses death instead of life and accepts pain instead of pleasure, loss instead of gain, shame rather than honor, enemies rather than friends, according to the example of Christ set for us on the cross. And further, all this is to be endured, not for the profit of oneself, but for the benefit of his neighbor and for the honor and glory. Of God. Isn't that amazing? This is why you've been given this access. We have a responsibility as priests of the Most High God to use our access to the Holy of Holies for others as Christ did. The Prince of Preachers again, Spurgeon says, Remember that intercessory prayer is the sweetest prayer God ever hears. Do not question it. For the prayer of Christ is of the same character. In all the incense in which now our great high priest puts into his censer, there is not a single grain that is for himself. His work is done, his reward obtained. 
We all have a responsibility as priests before God to bring others before the throne. And it's not easy, as we've just heard. And we've heard in Philippians, right, (laughs) too, about giving all these things up. We've all seen it and we've heard it and experienced it to some degree that it's difficult. I'd like to uh, take, I'm going to take just a little step aside here for a second because I want to hopefully encourage some mothers this morning. That's one of the, the most difficult forms of intercession, maybe I think, is mothers for their children. Augustine, or Augustine, however you pronounce it, but lived 1,600 years ago, right? Was a bishop in North Africa. And in his confession, which is testimony, which we just talked about, it's basically a book on his testimony. Uh, he talks, he was 32 years old. He was a uh, partier and womanizer and not a great person, philosopher type. Uh, and he was 32 years old when he was born again. And he uh, credits his mother Monica's prayers. And he, at her uh, funeral, at her death, he uh, explains that and, and really his tears after she passed away for such a mother that would pray for him for 32 years. She continued to pray for him after that, but for 32 years before he was converted to Christ. And I have to testify that my uh, testimony is very similar. I was uh, 30 years old when I was born again, even raised by a pastor and all those things. I was a partier and not a good son. And my mother prayed diligently for me for 30 years and more. But uh, fortunately, I had an opportunity to serve with her in a church and my dad and and, uh, uh, live close together here in the end. And things were... Uh, very, very good. Praise the Lord. But it was her prayer for 30 years that caused me to be born again. And uh, I was remembering a time <clears throat> when I was Clayton's age. On my mom's birthday, I moved out of the house. Had a big argument and left the home. And... uh yeah, I was pretty awful to my mom. <clears throat> but we dealt with that. I repented. And she's in heaven now. And I get to be with her again at some point. And then also, Charles Spurgeon, we've been quoting quite a bit this morning. Listen to this. How was it that you were converted? It was because somebody else prayed for you. I, in tracing back my own conversion, cannot fail to impute it through God's Spirit, to the prayers of my mother. I believe that the Lord heard her earnest cries when I knew not that her soul was exercised about me. So please, mothers, be encouraged, be praying, be interceding for your babies. In conclusion, in intercessory prayer, we follow the Old Testament priestly function And the New Testament pattern of Jesus, standing before God and between a righteous God and sinful man. In order to be effective, standing between, we must first stand before God to develop this intimacy necessary to fulfill this role. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind implies intimacy and frequent proximity. As New Covenant believers, we are no longer, or we no longer, sacrifice animals as in Old Testament times. We stand before the Lord to offer up spiritual sacrifices of praise, Hebrews 13, 15, and the sacrifice of our own lives, Romans 12, Romans 12, 1, just as our example Christ did. It is on the basis of this intimate relationship with God that we can stand between him and others serving as an advocate and intercessor on their behalf. But why would we intercede? Scripture shows us it's our duty as priests because of Christ's example. But what's really behind it? What's our real motivation? We talked about it some last week. Love. We just quoted the great commandment, right, from Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love... Do you remember last week? If you're a Christian, you love. Not just in word and deed. Not just in word, but in word and deed. Right? Start with the deed of prayer. Live out your role as a priest. John Calvin. Our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden... We must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. Love God with all your heart. Spend much time with Him. Love your brothers and your sisters and your families and your neighbors and bring them often before the throne of grace. You remember the one another's that I, I sent to the members too after and I pointed out the one another's in the New Testament and I, uh, in James that we read this morning in James 5.16. There's two right in a row, right? It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. So I'm going to wrap up the sermon with this verse that's up here. Both sermons, I think I can wrap up pretty neatly with this verse right here. 1 John. And if you want to study more and look more deeply into what the Christian life is like and what godly, Christ-like love is like, read the book of 1 John. It's a good place to start, right? But Romans, or 1 John 3.23 says this. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed by Your love. We are amazed by Your sacrifice. We are so grateful that You have saved us. We're grateful that we get to be with You in heaven. But Lord God, put in our hearts a love for our brothers and sisters, just as You've loved us. Lord, allow us to to see it, to understand it more, to give more of ourselves for our brothers and sisters and for your glory. And in your son's name, our great high priest's name, we pray. Amen.